St. Albans is a city in Kanawha County, West Virginia. It sets at the confluence of the Kanawha and Coal Rivers. St. Albans was laid out in 1816 and at the time was known as Philippi, named after Philip Thompson, an early settler. Later, the name changed to Colesmith due to the area and river being discovered by Samuel Cole. The city was then incorporated as Kanawha City in 1868. The town was renamed in 1872 by H.C. Parsons of the CNO Railroad in honor of his birthplace in St. Albans, Vermont, which itself is named after St. Albans in Hertfordshire, England. The prehistory occupation here spanned from 13,000 BC to 1670 AD. This area has the oldest oil artifacts and fluted points yet discovered in America and is also said to be the longest occupied settlement in America. Someone has either lived or hunted in this area at the mouth of the Coal River for over 15,000 years. These Native American cultures included the Adena, the Fort Ancient, Monotone, and Shawnee. The first white man to enter the Kanawha Valley was Gabriel Arthur in 1674 when he met with the Monotone tribe. The Shawnees continued to visit and hunt and make salt in this area until the 1780s, often attacking white settlements here. The land where St. Albans stands was once owned by George Washington and purchased by him from Lieutenant Charles Thurston for his service in the French and Indian War. William Crawford surveyed it in 1774. Washington's Coal River property was willed to his niece Elizabeth Spotswood, daughter of Augustine Washington. Morris Hudson bought 400 acres of the eastern part of the property from her in 1810 and became the first settler in present St. Albans. His nephew, Samuel Washington, also owned land nearby in Dunbar and resided in Colesmith and is buried there at the Banger Cemetery. Philip Thompson bought over a thousand acres from Mrs. Spotwoods along the Coal River in 1816. It could be said that St. Albans witnessed boom years not only during the shipping of coal, but dozens of lumber and planing mills established from the 1880s through the 1920s and the coming of the CNO Railroad. Log booms were built on the Coal River to contain the logs until they could be processed and shipped out. St. Albans has 12 sites on the National Register of Historic Places and the Historic Society frequently conducts historic walking home tours. The archaeological site along the Kanawha River is one of the oldest in the United States with points dating back 9,000 years. With the closing of the lumber mills in the 1920s and economic downturns, St. Albans has become mainly a residential city of the Charleston metropolitan area. Many homes were built here in the 1940s and later to provide housing for workers at the large naval ordnance plant during World War II and the numerous chemical plants in the Kanawha Valley. Content to provide homes for workers throughout the Kanawha Valley, it is a good place to come home after a hard day's work.
With such a rich history in place within the Kanawha Valley, it's no surprise that it has its lesser known facts. Some tragic, some justified, and some close to the heart. It makes St. Albans the perfect place for a fringe voyage. of Fringe Voyage. My name is John and I will be leading you on this trip into the Fringe. Tonight we have an awesome guest, Denise Cyrus. She is a multi-generational resident of St. Albans and the Vice President of the St. Albans Historical Society. She was kind enough to give me an interview on the history of St. Albans. It's a small town that sits on the bank of the Kanawha River and is mostly a residential area for Charleston metropolitan area. However, there is a dark history, as there is with most towns. We explore fires and mobs, lynchings, historical coincidence, and other stories on this episode of Fringe Voyage. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. This podcast was made possible by the folks at Glendora Soap. If you've been wanting to try a new soap that doesn't have all the harsh chemicals found in store-bought soap, then you need to check out Glendora Soap. They are a small family-owned business located in Lewisburg, West Virginia. They make all of their products from natural ingredients from things like shea butter and hemp seed oil. Everything is handmade in small batches. Glendora Soap also makes other bath and body products. So go to their website at www.glendorasoap.com and order your new bath and body products today and start pampering yourself because you deserve it. So we are here today at the St. Albans Historical Society with Denise Cyrus. Denise, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit, just a little bit about yourself. Sure. I am the vice president of this historical society, actually, but that's not my day job. By day, I work for the International Legal Technology Association, and I help to plan their educational conferences, the content of those conferences. So it's a lot of fun. I worked for lawyers for 20 years, which might be the spookiest thing about me. <laughs> and I grew up in St. Albans. I left it for a little while, but got back as quickly as I could. My family has actually lived within two miles of where I live right now for um, since the 1780s. So, 1780s, that's a long time. Yeah, we have pretty deep ties to St. Albans. <laughs> awesome, awesome. West Virginia does have a very rich history and you know not all of it is not all of it's pretty i mean unfortunately right. we were we were born out of war i guess you could say yep and, absolutely uh, so st albans was one of the main reasons we were going to talk today um mm -hmm. 
what is um, what's a little bit of background on St. Albans? Like, how did it begin? How did it become well, state or city? It's been a lot of things before it was St. Albans, starting mm -hmm. with Native American land. Okay. They've actually dated some artifacts found by the Kanar River in St. Albans back to uh, they estimate between ten and thirteen thousand BC. So that is pretty storied. I'm sure we've yeah. had a lot happen here. Yeah. We actually had one archaeologist say that she believed that St. Albans, from what we found, may have been one of the longest inhabited uh, locations in North America. Oh, wow. So that's pretty exciting. And then um, we did have some explorers come through, you know, when Western expansion started happening. But the first permanent settlement was Fort Tackett, mm -hmm. which was founded by my six great-grandparents and their family. Um, and that's where 84 Lumber is now on Route 817. It's been a lot of things, a drive-in movie theater, yeah. a chemical plant, a plantation. But, but the first thing that we know of was that it was an, a fort. Um, and of course, the um, fort protected the settlers. There were about 26 mm -hmm. that lived there from Native American and animal uh, attacks. That was their main reason for a stockade fort. And uh, for 30 plus years, Daniel Boone wrote that no one would live between Charleston and Point Pleasant because of the Native American attacks. Um, and who can blame them? I mean, this is the land they hunted and fished on for 13,000 years or so. And we took it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you think of where St. Albans is located, you know, you have South Charleston that's a stone's throw away. And, right. you know, there's mounds where they buried people there were mounds here too there's so, still one yeah. at least up okay. at Hayes Hill Cemetery but there's a location near McKinley Middle School mm -hmm. uh, that had a mound that was leveled out in the 40s or 50s we have some mm. photographs of it so there were probably far more Native American mounds than are still here but you're right it, now, now do you recall if they found anything in these like this particular one you said that was leveled, what did they find in those? Like what kind of artifacts? Um, I do know that they found at least one human in the one. It was at, uh, if anyone remembers the old school St. Albans, it was at Murad's in that area on Kanawha Terrace. Okay. And um, them tearing it, leveling it definitely predates me. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I... I don't know for sure what they found. We do have some artifacts here that were found along the Kanawha River. Okay. There's actually an arrowhead named the St. Albans Point, okay. uh, named for uh, those found. And archaeologists came from several colleges in the 60s, 70s, and then again in the 90s to study those. Wow. So, yeah, it's we're way more fascinating than people give us credit for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, you know, and I'm finding that with a lot of places that I go to. And yeah, I'm to sure. People. The average human lives to be about 70 years old, and, you know, it's hard for us to fathom that how, just how long, like, the land has been here and right. people on that land. You know, you're saying 13,000 years. That is a long time. That we know of. Yeah. You know, that's, they so. stopped digging, um, and they suspected there were further stratification layers below where they stopped, but the funding ran out. So it could be longer than that, just that's the dating that they've gotten to. So I think that's fascinating. So the first official na name for this town, though, was Philippi. Okay. And it was named after Philip Roots Thompson, who is now referred to as the father of St. Albans. Okay. Um, he was here in the 18-teens, came here from Virginia, um, and near Shenandoah, I believe and had six children and he laid out the town in lots okay. and named it after himself which was pretty egotistical in my opinion but 
<laughs> that's okay. Uh, post that, it's also been called Kanawha City, believe it or not, the village of Kanawha City. And um, its name was Cole's Mouth for a very long time. Um, and because we're at the mouth of the Cole River, that's right. one huge advantage that St. Albans had um, back in those days with, you know, there were two rivers mm -hmm. and that was very uncommon. Yes. So having that plus... Uh, we had some buffalo trails that actually ran, ran through here that eventually became Route 60. So transportation was easier getting here than almost anywhere else. Um, but Coles Mouth was the name, like I said, that, that people stuck on for a while. And it was actually Collis P. Huntington that renamed St. Albans to Coles Mouth because, of course, he's railroad developer and the railroad was big here but his best friend hc parsons an advisor was from st albans vermont okay so he renamed us to st albans without telling anyone mm. except for the federal government so, so for some people it was years before they learned that we were no longer cole's mouth <laughs> oh. you mean you mean cole's mouth no st albans <laughs> No, right. this, this there was definitely but, confusion and the post office would still deliver even though its official name was St. Albans if they got a, a letter for Cole's mouth they would still deliver it properly I wonder did they have zip codes I don't believe so not at that time or I think that was instituted in the early 1900s okay but, yeah. Yeah, yeah I was going to say because there's been a few times that I've put the wrong <laughs> zip yeah. code but it still went to the right place right but, Vice yeah. versa. Well, 1872 uh, is when we became St. Albans officially. 1872. Now, you said something that was interesting, uh, and I don't know why I stuck on it when you said it, but uh, you said buffalo trails. Mm -hmm. So was there a lot of buffalo in this area? Once upon a time. Well, well I a say time. buffalo trails, but it's probably just Indian trails. Okay. Um, but it eventually, those trails eventually became Route 60. So, or the one of the main ones, at okay. least. That's where a lot of our roads originated from, from what I understand, because they were already kind of trampled yeah. down and easier to okay. maintain. Yeah. So. Now, uh, uh, one of the first interviews I did was with uh, the people there at uh, the Glen Ferris Inn. Oh, yeah, that's a great and, place. Yeah, and it's it's right on what they called the Old Midland Trail. Right, yes. And, you know, I guess as we're finding out, as I'm finding out, through these interviews and stuff there's a lot of uh the the roadways basically follow the river because i guess water takes the easiest path right yeah. um so why not follow it <laughs> well and if you think about it if people were taking horses you know or other mm -hmm. animals they needed places for them to drink yeah, along the way water. so it made a lot of good sense yeah and uh, amanda with the uh, charleston ghost tours she brought up a funny thing and i never thought of it she called it the three r's roads railways and rivers yep and uh, St. Albans seems to have all of that. We do. Um, and honestly, that's why we were what they considered a boom town in the early 1900s. We were able to get the timber and the coal from Boone County, Lincoln County, and beyond through the Coal River um, up here to the tributary to the Kanawha, then all over the world. Um, and what stopped our expansion was that the citizens, uh, this is according to my grandfather who was adamant about this until the day he died, the citizens had the opportunity for the interstate to run through St. Albans and they declined it. They said they did not want the interstate ruining their little town and um, so our growth was a little bit thwarted by that, but we are a nice little town. I will give it that. And uh, it just, it's what stopped our growth, I think, because you're right, early 1900s, we had the three R's, as yeah. Amanda said. I love that. Yeah, you know, uh, like 
this building, the historical society, mm -hmm. is right next to the railroad tracks. Correct, purposely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I mean, it's right, and it looks like it's right next to the train station. Right N next to the depot, yeah. and in fact, this whole area, this whole block, mm -hmm. used to be taken up by the railroad and the railroad shops, okay. like restaurants, hotels, uh, machinery shops, etc. And then at the end of the road, as I'm sure you know, is Lance Lumber, okay. um, and that's strategically placed right here along the railroad tracks because they had little. Um, carts that would cart their lumber out directly onto the railroad cars wow. so it was weimer lumber before it was lance lumber okay yeah well the yeah. burning of fort tackett is probably our earliest okay. tragedy uh that, that we know of you know our uh post prehistoric day tragedies yes. so we they estimate that about 22 people were killed in that attack mm -hmm. and um so a child was born that day and I hope this isn't too much. It's just an exciting and fun story. Yeah. And we have documentation of it right in here, too, from the, the horse's mouth. One of the survivors told the story when she was over 80 years old to a Cincinnati newspaper, and we have that newspaper. Cool. But um, it's what happened was a child was born that day, August 26, 1790. His name was Jacob Reed Young, mm -hmm. and he's the first known a white child to have been born in the Kanawha Valley. Okay. So, and he was my five great grandfather. Okay. So that probably explains my interest in St. Albans history. <laughs> but um, at any rate, his father John Young was there, and his mother was Keziah Tackett Young, Fort Tackett. And uh, some children were out by the river playing, and they heard the war cry of the Shawnee. And they ran back to the fort as quickly as they could. In fact, uh, a Mr. McElhenney was with them. And he was trying to, sh to shut the door to the fort, and the um, Native Americans shot his fingers off. He lost two fingers right. that day, um, but luckily not his life. And several settlers wanted to wait till the morning to fight, and where they could see, because it was growing dark. And John Young, who just had a child, said, no, no way, I'm leaving now. And they said, oh, you'll get killed, undoubtedly. So he scoops up his wife, Keziah, who's holding their infant son, Jacob, and runs essentially from 84 Lumber, where that stands now, to where Roadside Park is now, okay. which is about a half a mile, absconds with a Native American canoe and paddles all the way to Clendenin. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's a I long know. Way. It's a long way. He not may only, have stopped at Charleston. <laughs> not only is it a long way, it's upriver. It is upriver. Long way. <laughs> and they were fighting darkness, and yeah. it was not good weather, according to Keziah. It kind of reminds me of my dad's stories, you know, uphill both ways to and yeah. from school. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, it, it was definitely a challenge, um, but most of the settlers... Uh, lost their lives or were kidnapped, which was a common practice back then as well. But we know of at least 20-plus people who lost their lives. That was the, the largest-scale tragedy that St. Albans has ever seen. John Young, the man that I mentioned, was an Indian scout. He learned their language, okay. and that's how he contributed, and that's how a lot of them in this area contributed to the Revolutionary War. Okay. They were able to understand uh, what the Native Americans were saying, they saw, knew the signs because um, they were helping the French. Okay, yeah, that's uh, that's huge. You mm -hmm. know, being able to communicate with them and you know make sure that you're using the right words in the right context. To, right. Yes. You know, say stuff. And he he would negotiate too for people's lives okay. when they would kidnap oh, people. Wow. His brother-in-law Lewis Tackett was was kidnapped, and he was able to help with that. One interesting story from that is that Lewis Tackett's mother. Um, who was 
and to my seven great grandmother, Mary was her name, Mary Tackett. She was kidnapped along with Lewis, but Lewis knew enough about their culture mm -hmm. because they had studied it, you know, for all these years, that he pretended like he didn't know his own mother. Oh, wow. They would say "Marmy." They would point to her and say "Marmy." He would say, "No, old woman." And that's what saved probably both of their lives because he knew they would kill or torture her in front of him. Oh wow! If, if they knew they knew he loved oh. her and was his mother. Wow. So, yeah, uh, interesting stuff for sure. So that's probably the largest scale tragedy that we've ever had. Tragedies like that, there's I'm sure some type of paranormal to come out of it. Uh, are Are you interested in the paranormal? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I run the uh, History and Mystery Tour that we have every October. Okay. This will be our fifth year coming up. So, yes, I'm def it definitely interests me. And the funny thing about it is, growing up, I heard a lot about the history of St. Albans. My dad's a history teacher. We've been here for a couple hundred years, as I right. mentioned. And um, so, you know, a lot of people went to bed with fairy tale stories. I went to bed with hearing the story of the burning of Fort Tackett, you know, right. in the St. Albans history. So, um I'm definitely interested, and I've definitely seen some things that, that make me scratch my head and go, hmm, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I went to the Guy and Doc Ghost Tour about 12 years ago and thought to myself, I want to bring something like that to St. Albans. And I mentioned it to people, and they said, yeah, but St. Albans doesn't have any paranormal stories, which is what I believed to be true, right. until I started researching, <laughs> because we have them. They're just not documented. Right. You won't find them in these books behind me right. yet. I plan to fix that soon. You plan to but fix that yes, soon? I do. Oh, nice. But since I've started doing that tour, and this being the fifth year, I have heard so many people have come to me with stories. And in Fort Tackett area is one. There's an entire subdivision down there um, near Fort Tackett, and people have told me who live in that subdivision that they see and hear things that are completely unexplained. Wow. They hear screams at night, and no one, no human they mm -hmm. can find is screaming, and. And their supposition, once they hear the history of that area, because they didn't know it before, and they're telling me these things, right. one of them even um, said they saw a cloud of fog on the river near that area, and uh, when they went toward it, they actually um, saw what looked like an old-fashioned musket, mm -hmm. and they saw the smoke coming like, from that musket yes like it was being fired correct oh, wow. they heard it they saw it and uh he said he, he had been fishing mm -hmm. and he said i ran home and didn't leave the house for three days wow, yeah. <laughs> oh, i mean you imagine the energy it would yeah. take to manifest something like that yeah and what's really interesting is you know he, he said i have no idea why they targeted me well he has a lot of native american features this guy does so i kind of wonder if it was the settlers protecting oh, their property yeah that was an interesting one that i heard but I, i've heard dozens since i started doing this and um i'm happy to share any of them that you're interested in for sure yeah you had mentioned haunted mirror it's one of the most fascinating stories i've ever heard and the best part about it is there were multiple witnesses to this event so it's a fantastic restaurant now it, a lot of times people refer to it as the Chilton House. Okay. That was its name. It was actually built by the Smith family in the 1850s, pre-Civil War. But post-Civil War, the Chilton family, who were publishers of the Charleston newspapers, okay. um, just a, an, a senator, 
a playwright. There were a lot of famous people in that Chilton family, but they purchased it post-Civil War. So it's often referred to as the Chilton House. So your listeners might know it as that. But it's Angela's on the River now, and they actually have a um, stair rail from the original house in the restaurant if you go. So you can touch history for sure if you visit there. But um, I'm friends with the owner, and she told me this story in preparation for my first history and mystery tour. She said that they had an old mirror that had come with the restaurant when they bought it, and um, that they'd been having unexplained things happen, unexplained noises, banging on the door, and then no one was there, etc. And so she was cleaning a mirror one day because there were fingerprints on it. So she windexed it, and as soon as she did, the fingerprints reappeared. Hmm kept happening four or five times. She called someone in finally to look at it. She's like, I don't know what's happening here. Just expecting there was some kind of scientific explanation for it. Mm -hmm. So the last time that she cleaned it, um, she actually saw a hand that was not hers appear as if it was trying to come out of the mirror. Oh, man. Yes. So that's when they called in professional paranormal investigators Mm -hmm. who told them that spirits are often trapped inside of mirrors, and we have no way of knowing how old those mirrors were, how long they'd been in that house. I can only imagine they were original because they were affixed to the walls. So um, they told her to get rid of the mirrors. So she set them outside and replaced them with new mirrors. Well, the whole night that they were outside, uh, they heard they would hear a banging on the door, and they would go out and no one would be there. And so the investigators they hired told told them that they suspected that that was the spirit trying to get back into the house. Wow. And I only think the poor people who picked up those mirrors thinking they'd found a real treasure might might have yeah. gotten rid of them yeah. <laughs> with, with a bit of haste. But yeah. I love that story. It's very interesting. Yeah. She yeah. said after that, there were no more unexplained noises or phenomena, phenomenon. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Now, do you have any like favorite stories uh, of St. Albans? I have so many favorite stories of St. Albans that we would be here all night if I told them all. But I do have a couple other really great paranormal stories if you want to hear them. Um, the only one I know of that has been published in a book, again, yet, um, is about the college on College Hill. It was called Shelton College. Okay. Um, and if anyone is familiar with St. Albans, it's off of Highland Drive. Okay. Um, so... It's called College Circle. There is a college built in the late 1870s. It was originally built by the Baptist Convention Mm -hmm. to be a teacher training academy. Um, And it it survived as a college for a little while. You'd probably call it a prep school now. Okay. um, But some senators went there, some presidents of WVU, some illustrious people. Yeah. Yeah. And then... um, they changed the focus of it and tried to educate blacks to be teachers, which was great. And uh, then eventually it became what they called Colesmouth High School. So it was um, definitely used for several different things, but also it was a residence for a family. And a family lived on that land uh, prior to that being built, the Thompson family, Philip Roots Thompson, who I told you about, the, they called the father of St. Yes. Albans. Okay. He and his family lived on or near that land. Okay. And he's, in fact, buried across from that college, as is his wife. His wife's tomb, and tomb is the right word for it because it's taller than I am. Okay. It's a, a great and beautiful memorial. Unfortunately, it's on private land, so we cannot get to it uh, yeah. 
investigate it too much, but um, the rumor is that she was buried in her rocking chair. Interesting. Uh, Yes, and that's why it's such a large monument. Mm. But she used to sit in the rocking chair and speak to and wave to everyone who went by. So it's kind of interesting. A lot of people have said, though, that they have seen her spirit as what they're calling the pink lady, um, that she's wearing all white and has flowing hair, or someone is. They don't know for sure that it was a Mrs. Thompson. Right. But someone appears occasionally. I've talked to several people who've seen it, even people who didn't believe in the paranormal prior to seeing her image. Um, and she appears in white with a pink glow around her. And she appears to be searching for a child, as if she lost a child or had a child pass yeah. away. So um, the pink lady, thats that still scares my kids, mm -hmm. and they're in their 20s. <laughs> now, now, has there been any research done on her to see if, you know, she had lost a child. We know a little bit about her. They lost more than one child. Oh, wow. It's it is estimated because that was very common. Yeah. You know, back in the early eighteen hundreds, she would have been here in the eighteen tens to. Um, she lived here about forty years past that to the eighteen fifties. So she um, she is very likely the pink lady, and. There's a legend, and this one I don't put much stock in, John, but there is a legend that if you if you go to her grave mm. at midnight on Halloween, you will hear the rocking chair creaking. I don't know if that's midnight on the 30th or 31st, So, but still I've never checked it out because it's on private property, but yeah. uh, I, I don't put a lot of faith in that one. But, again, so many people have seen that figure with the pink glow around her, and that's actually in a in a book that was published in the 1980s, I believe. So that's our only published ghost story thus far. It's pretty awesome. interesting. And just a little P uh, PSA there, public service announcement. You know, if you do plan on going to somewhere to do any type of investigations, you know, make sure you talk to the people that own it or talk to the city and make sure that it's okay Correct. to be there. Yeah. Correct. So, yeah, I am also on the Taze Hill Cemetery Board, so yeah. yes, I yeah. I like that PSA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you know, I've done, like, I've got a background as a paranormal investigator, and, you know, you, you do have to make sure that everything's on the up and up. Absolutely. And, you know, like, you can't yes. have the cops going by and you're out there with flashlights and stuff mm -hmm. at 2 o'clock in the morning. You're going to get a right. visit. And that particular cemetery, as I mentioned, is in a private residence right. and they do not welcome investigators yeah. you know, at this time. Some people do, but always get permission. If they say no, respect <laughs> their property. Exactly. So, yeah. One is a house on Kanawha Terrace, directly across from the um, Presbyterian Church. Mm. And... It is, is now owned by my friend Jennifer and her uh, partner Tom, okay. but uh, prior to that, it was owned by the Burdett family, and they lived there for several decades. My dad was friends with their son, and sons actually, my aunt was friends with their daughter, and before that, it was called the Hereford House, mm -hmm. and C.D. Hereford was a local merchant. He owned a general store, and he married a girl from Missouri named Anna Roth and moved her here. And she loved St. Albans. She was very involved in civic and community organizations. And he finally built her that fine house. And it's it's still beautiful. It's white with green trim and a very large porch and just gorgeous. But um, my dad told me when I would ask him for ghost stories, you know, growing up, mm -hmm. he said, Denise, I don't believe in ghosts, except 
maybe at the Burdett House. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's called the Hereford Burdett House to a lot of people here. Okay. But he said they would play hide-and-seek in there, and he's like, Denise, there were noises and sights that could not be explained. And he said, and you know me, I don't really believe in all of that. So right. when you get non-believers telling you stories, that those are the ones I put a lot of credit yeah. in. Yeah. Um, and then there's also been several people, at least a dozen, report driving by that house when it was empty before it sold to my friend, and they saw the image of an older lady in the upper left-hand bedroom. Now, is there any idea of who that could be? I would guess Mrs. Herford. Mrs. Herford. Yes. She loved that house. She raised her boys in that house. And um, she did have one son die in that house. Mm. And typically they see her rocking. I don't know why rocking chairs are a theme with our paranormal stories in St. Albans, but they almost seem to be. (laughs) You know, I think if you look at, I guess, maybe what a ghost could possibly be, if it is like some type of energy or something like that, then you think of what would keep a person around and maybe you know we kind of joke about the rocking chairs but maybe that was like the part of her day that she looked forward to the most she worked she cooked she cleaned she took care of the kids and at the end of the day she gets to chill out in her rocking chair and do whatever and that was kind of her happy place i think you might be right about that i think uh the one other thing i've thought too about her is that it's very possible that she rocked her son that she lost oh, in that chair. That's yeah, that what I've be, wondered. That would be difficult um, as well. But the interesting story about that, people have reported seeing her rocking, like I said, when that house was vacant, and there was no furniture in those rooms. Mm-hmm. So the rocking chair, they saw the rocking motion, Yeah. Um, but there were definitely no people because there would be layers of dust, yeah. John, that were undisturbed. Yeah. So... It can only be explained by paranormal. And my friend who lives there now tells me that she hears things that can't be explained. She even called the police when she first moved in because she thought she had an intruder upstairs. They went, again, the layers of dust because they don't use that level or didn't at that time. And um, she's convinced that there is definitely paranormal activity going on in her house. And like I said, my dad, who was a non-believer, in the paranormal also was convinced of that right so all that and it adds another element when you say there's dust on the ground and you know nobody undisturbed dust undisturbed dust absolutely i think that i think it's fascinating and then we have another older home it's actually our second oldest standing home in st albans built in 1833 actually it was originally built by that thompson family that i told you about at one point (laughs) they own most of what's now st albans but um it was a 400-acre dairy farm called Ravenswood. Okay. And it is on McQueen Boulevard, which is just a side street off of Kanawha Terrace. And um, it's beautiful. It's it's owned by a, a family now that's taking great care of it and restoring mm-hmm. it to its former grandeur. And there are a lot of legends associated with that house. But one of the biggest legends is that Edgar Allan Poe stayed there when he was young. Now... Originally, an owner of the house started the false rumor that he wrote the raven there. Okay. We have since learned that Judge Drew just made that story up. Okay. However, there's definitely evidence to to suggest that Poe might have visited that family mm-hmm. because his um, adoptive father and Mr. Thompson served in the Virginia legislature together. Okay. Because remember, in, in the 1830s, we were still Virginia. Yes. So he was a delegate. 
So they served together, and there was correspondence that has been found of them talking about Edgar coming to stay with them. So we don't 100% know that he did. However, I mean, that house is called Raven's Court, or Mm -hmm. Ravenswood, sometimes called Raven's Court. But there's a, and I believe this is original, the porch has a picture of a raven on it. Mm -hmm. And the the reason they named it Ravenswood was because ravens gravitated to that property. So there were dozens of ravens around the house. Yeah, that's um, weird. I wonder, uh, did they ever say why that could be, maybe? I don't know why. I I have always wondered if it had something to do with something that had been there once upon a time, like the Native American. Because mm-hmm. um, when they built that house, it would have been on very desirable property, yeah. right? Like up, up yeah. a little bit, elevated, so no chance of flood. And... Um, always kind of wondered if maybe there was yeah ravens are very intelligent animals yes uh, i've heard that they can they can solve puzzles that are several steps long correct and, uh, so it makes you wonder almost like why would you pick that spot as opposed to the other one maybe for the simple as them liking the food there a little bit or better. the milk <laughs> or the milk yeah you know yeah I'd but, much but rather eat cheese than fish, guys. I mm. definitely wonder if Poe was inspired to write the Raven there, even if he didn't write it there, because we now know he wrote that most likely in Baltimore. Right. But um, but I also think that his adoptive father and Mr. Thompson were kind of hoping there would be a love match between Thompson's daughter and Edgar Allan Poe. Right. There wasn't. Right. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. But the family that lives in that house now, and this is actually documented in the Beckley Register Herald, said that they have seen and heard very unusual things, and they're convinced that their house is haunted. For example, um, they they have one particular room that they said is much more active than the others, and they did some research and found out that that was likely the nursery. And who they see is someone in a servant's outfit. So I actually... In, in my very imaginative mind, John, I have made the connection that possibly it's one of the nannies or caregivers okay. there to still take care of the children because there are still children mm-hmm. in the house. They're teenagers, yeah. but, you know, and, and I just, I believe that spirits often find themselves to what they feel like was their mission in life, if yeah, that makes uh, sense. Nurses and doctors mm-hmm. and stuff like that, they, they put a lot of time and a lot of energy in doing what they did right you know like i couldn't imagine raising somebody else's kids yeah you know taking care of them changing the diapers as if they were your own yeah right and that's how those a lot of those servants were they really took them as if they were their own um those are some of my favorite uh stories that i've heard but again i've heard dozens since we started this history and mystery tour it's been fascinating 